I can say this today because my mother isn't here. She is the queen of hospitality. She is so good at serving others in her home. And I remember lots of times when people were over at our home when I was growing up, and she taught me that it's important to serve others like her mother taught her to care and serve, uh, care for and serve others. And whether it was the woman's place or whether it was the Christian's place, I don't know. But these Gilbert women have taught each other down through the generations that the right thing to do is to care for and serve others regardless of the inconvenience and sacrifice. The implied corollary of that is that it is not appropriate to have others care for and serve us. Okay, you're nodding. I see. Yes. So obviously some of you learned this too. I thought back to Jesus' friends Mary and Martha. And when, Martha, when Jesus entered their village, Martha took it upon herself to be the queen of hospitality in her home. Now, her sister Mary chose the better part, according to Jesus, to sit at his feet and listen with the other disciples. Jesus gently chastises Martha as he gently chastises us. Jesus, the good shepherd, is the king of hospitality. Jesus offers to care for and serve us, the sheep. There is no hierarchy among the flock, even though sometimes we talk about pastors being shepherds to a flock, we all are the flock. And Jesus is the shepherd who sticks around during the times of fear and danger. Jesus is not the hired hand who at the first sign or, or sign of danger, either visual or oral, runs away. He maintains a protective and nurturing presence. Jesus is willing to lay down his very life for us, for each of us. Gail O'Day writes, To be a member of Jesus' flock is to know oneself as being among those for whom Jesus is willing to die. We're in John 10 today, chapter 10, but just three chapters later in John 13, Jesus is with his disciples, and he takes a towel and wraps it around his waist, and he does for them what the lowest servant in the household would do. He washes their feet. Peter resists this unusual action by Jesus, just like my maternal relatives would resist taking the place of one being served. Often it is easier to serve than to be served. A few of us from Calvary went to a gathering of Baptist women ministers, and one of them preached on this passage, John John 13. Julie is now the chaplain at Fluvanna Women's Correctional Center, where our former member, Lynn Litchfield-Divers, served for over a decade. And Julie told us about a prison worship service in which she preached on this text, John 13, the one about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And then she invited the women at the service to to 
move into that. And so for one, she, she invited one particular person up or one volunteered. And, and so the woman, the young inmate, sat in the chair and Julie took a wash rag and water in the basin and she washed and dried her feet. And then she invited all the others to do the same until everyone had washed or dry, and washed feet or had their feet washed except for Julie. And it ended up then that the one whose feet she washed was the one who was available to wash her feet. And she talked about how difficult that was and how odd it was to be the one in the position of the one being served when she feels called to serve these women there. Julie then invited the women at this conference, this workshop, to experience what she had. And so she and others brought out plastic basins, metal basins, and towels and washcloths, and they brought out warm water, and they poured it into the basins, set a chair beside them, and invited us to wash each other's feet. Jody Harrison washed my stinky feet. Jody's not here today. She had a a rough night as a chaplain at the hospital last night, but she untied and took off my socks and shoes, shoes and socks, placed my feet in the lukewarm water, gently put the wash rag in and washed around my feet and my ankles. And then she dried each foot and put the socks and the shoes back on. And as she was doing this, it was an uncomfortable place for me. But at the same time, I felt myself sort of smiling with wonder at the oddity of it. But I thought, too, about how um, Jody probably was doing this just several weeks ago when she was with her little granddaughter, putting socks and shoes on her. And I thought about the fact that it hadn't been all that many years since I was doing that to my daughter. Children need to be served to a point, and then they need how need to learn how to serve others, but they are often not shy about asking others to serve them, and I wonder if we might take a lesson from them. Now, what we need not take a lesson from is this, Mom, I need Cheerios and I can't reach them. That gets on my nerves. But, could you please get down the Cheerios? Children are are good at asking for help because they recognize that they need it. There are some things they physically cannot do. And I think that is a challenge for us as adults to remember that it's okay to ask for help. Now, Jimmy, our custodian, gently chastised me for this one day because I was struggling in with several things one weekday morning and He asked if I needed help, and I said, no, I can get it. And he said, you know, people are not going to feel needed if you try to do everything yourself. And I thought, okay. (laughs) I hear you. It was a good reminder for me. We have to be independent, we think. We have to be productive all the time. Now, I was sitting with Tim and Michael Mayna at Roanoke College last week, and both of them have had the experience of teaching in Europe and were telling me that 
to, to just sit there in the cafeteria or coffee shop or something like that and talk is, is normal in Europe, that there's not the pressure to produce, to get things done, to worry so much about our to-do lists and crossing those things off, that the relationships are what, what is important. And I think that it sounds like they seem to better understand the importance of relationships and interdependence than we do in the U.S. Our constant push for independence can be unhealthy. We may be more like the woman who bragged to her friends about her unhappy marriage. She said about her husband, there's nothing I wouldn't do for him and there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. And that's the way we go through life, doing nothing for each other. Hmm. Jesus understands the importance of relationships and interdependence. To Peter and Andrew, James and John, their fingers were wrapped in their fishing nets when Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And they spent months then watching Jesus serve others, and it was his sacrificial service that reeled them in. I wonder what they thought when Jesus used this Hebrew Testament metaphor that we see in Psalm 23 of God as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, we proclaimed earlier. And now Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So they heard, just as we can hear, Jesus relating who he is to who God has been. The Lord is my shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I have received this command from my Father, he says. And Jesus' sacrificial life is a continuation of what God has already been doing in the history of the world. And now it's up to us to extend that continuation of what God has done and what Jesus has done. To follow in Jesus' footsteps, to serve others, to metaphorically wash others' feet. But we also seek that balance of allowing others to love us and protect us and care for us as Jesus does. Jesus, the one who was willing to sacrifice his love and his energy and his life for us. We are a flock together. Our Sunday school class has been reading about how to help faith stick with children and adolescents. And according to the authors, the most important aspect of this for children is to make, help them to feel loved and supported no matter what. And here are a couple of sentences that they wrote. As a result of growing up in our fast-paced, fragmented, and externally focused culture, kids have lost social capital, that sense that there are at least a handful of adults who care and are willing to pour themselves into their lives without a self-serving agenda. At some level for all kids, growing up is difficult and lonely. Now, we can think back probably to days of our childhood and adolescence when we felt 
lonely or we were frustrated because life was so, so difficult. But it's not just children and adolescents. It's adults, too. And that's why the church community is so important. The flock is so important. We need mentors and guides and friends to help us navigate this rocky river of life. And that's why one year, this year, is a time that Calvary is rejuvenating our small group ministry. Tomorrow night will be the kickoff for that. We need each other. We need our flock mates to help us remember that Jesus is our shepherd because we have lots of voices telling us that we will be saved if we have enough money or we will be saved if we have the right things in our house or if we will be saved if we wear the right clothes or drive the right car. But none of these things can save us. Only the sacrifice of Jesus saves us. And we need help remembering. There is safety in numbers. But also in numbers there is clarity. And there is compassion. And there is acceptance. And there is love. And we can love and accept ourselves, but we haven't reached a healthy balance until we love and accept others, regardless of the shortcomings we perceive. Half the world is below average, you know. Conversely, we can love and accept others, but we haven't reached a healthy balance until we love and accept ourselves as beloved children of God. So I want to remind you of what Gail O'Day wrote. To be a member of Jesus' flock is to know oneself as being among those for whom Jesus is willing to die. On an early edition of the television show, America's Funniest Home Videos, there was a segment which wasn't American, it was from Japan, showing a brother and sister coming to a break in the sidewalk. It was a long step across, and the gap was about two feet deep. And the boy, who was older, made it easily, but his sister was too scared, and so she refused to even try. Now, on the other side, after several attempts to convince her to come on over, and she still wouldn't do it, the the brother stretched out across the gap, making a human bridge with his body, and his sister safely crawled across the span. And so here Jesus again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you hear that bridge? Jesus is present and willing to care for us and lead us when we invite him to do so, and whether we deserve it or not. That is grace. And so the Lord is Joyce's shepherd. The Lord is Patrick's shepherd. The Lord is Kelly's shepherd. The Lord is Benna's shepherd. The Lord is Lynn's shepherd. You can insert your name inside that. The Lord is your name, your shepherd. And so do you welcome him in that role? That might be our 
question of challenge for the week is how well do we welcome Jesus in the role of shepherd? Will we, as a community in Christ, welcome him as our protector and guide? The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd for the whole world. Jesus talks about this flock that we don't even know. They're all out there. And that, to me, is an open-armed, embracing statement. That when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised. Because the world is Jesus' flock. And Jesus welcomes us all. Now, if you would receive this kind of Jesus into your heart, you are welcome to make that official and public by coming forward to join this church or to profess your faith in Jesus Christ. If that is something that you can do privately, he hears that prayer as well. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we need each other. And we need you. We thank you for your sacrifice that makes it possible for us to know and love each other. And we thank you for accepting us just as we are. Guide us, O Lord, this week as we seek to draw you in as the shepherd of our lives. We pray in your holy name. Amen.